Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today, we're going to talk about the right's epic misstep on the issue of immigration. And I interview Fox LA's Alex Michelson about Republicans refusing to take yes for an answer on the border, whether Americans are starting to feel the effects of a strong economy, and what the right's meltdown over Taylor Swift is saying. I'm Ryan Tyler Cohen, and you're listening to No Lie. I cannot remember a time when Republicans weren't wailing about the border, like about drugs and the rapists and the weapons and the crime all owed to our quote-unquote wide-open borders. Like, you can't turn on the TV in October of an election year without hearing the usual drumbeat about migrant caravans and hordes of brown people coming to kill your wives and sell drugs to your kids. And then, of course, the election happens, and uh, I guess those caravans conveniently vanish only to miraculously return on the eve of the next election. And so, with Donald Trump contending with a raft of different prosecutions, with his recent judgment for $83 million owed to a woman who a judge found he raped, uh, with his victories in Iowa and New Hampshire watered down by a relatively dismal showing for someone who considers himself an incumbent, of course, Republicans are turning their attention to the tried and tested issue of the border. And their plan now was to spend the next 10 months wailing about this while pandering to a base that has been conditioned into living in abject fear at the imminent prospect of their own cultural disappearance at the hands of these migrants, according to Fox News and Tucker Carlson and the rest of the right-wing media ecosystem that exists to peddle fear. And then, of course, to sell you disaster prep kits and gold coins. But Joe Biden called their bluff, basically saying, "Okay, if you want a law, send me a bill and I'll sign it. And the bill he endorsed would speed up the asylum process to consider cases within six months, as opposed to the current system, which could take as long as 10 years. Um, If border encounters reach 4,000 over a one-week span, the Department of Homeland Security would have the authority to close the border. And if migrant crossings exceed 8,500 in a day, again, DHS would be able to shut the border down. The bill was written by senators from both parties, and it is certainly a tougher bill than anything that the Democrats would have proposed alone. But still, Biden endorsed it in the same way that he's worked with Republicans on infrastructure and the gun safety bill because the guy recognizes that perfect can't be the enemy of good. And then, of course, Donald Trump issued his clarion call to his party demanding that they not support the bill because if they did, then Trump wouldn't be able to run on the issue anymore. And so, of course, like clockwork, his little foot soldiers fell in line, suddenly insisting that they don't want a border deal even though it's far more conservative than anything a Democrat would have ever agreed to otherwise, even though it includes no comprehensive immigration reform, and even though it's little more than a capitulation to Republicans. Why? Because they don't want to deprive Donald Trump of a potent issue heading into November. And so the same people who have been wailing on an endless loop about the danger at the border, danger so urgent that it needs to be dealt with now, and why isn't Joe Biden there, and why isn't Kamala Harris there, and what are we doing about the border? Suddenly, that border is no longer an issue, and you know what? Maybe we just put a pin in it, because on second thought, perhaps it's just okay as is. Now, you might remember, too, that if Democrats were to get Ukraine and Israel and Taiwan aid, then they would have to swallow a border bill. That was that was supposed to be the poison pill. Republicans didn't want to give foreign aid, but instead of just coming out and saying that outright, they just framed it as being attached to the border because they never expected Joe Biden to sign on. And now that he has, 
suddenly Mike Johnson has announced that actually he's going to put a standalone Israel bill on the floor. In other words, he's reneging on his previous deal because his bluff was called. And so he's only going to try and pass Israel aid, which, of course, won't pass the Senate because the deal in the Senate is that this all passes together. But at the end of the day, remember, they don't actually want a deal. They just wanted to play games. And so that's what they're doing right now. And by the way, in terms of playing games, don't just take my word for it that that's what's happening. Take it from these Republicans. If we have a bill that on net significantly decreases illegal immigration and we sabotage that, that is is inconsistent with what we told our voters we would do. People will make up whatever reasons they they want to. There's a number of them, I'm sure. But it would be a a pretty unacceptable dereliction of, of your duty. The fact that he would communicate to uh, Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame uh, Biden for it is uh, is really appalling. It's interesting. Republicans four months ago would not give funding for Ukraine, for Israel, and for our southern border because we demanded changes in policy. So we actually locked arms together and said, we're not going to give you money for this. We want a change in law. And now it's interesting, a few months later, when we're finally getting to the end, they're like, oh, just kidding. I actually don't want a change in law because it's a presidential election year. Are here. We've been elected. We have election certificates. When you have an opportunity to make this country safer, you take it and you don't play politics. All of which is to say, Trump may have sought to preserve a campaign issue for himself, but in doing so, all he did was put on full display the extent to which he and his party do not actually care about this issue. It is just something they like to exploit in their pursuit of power. If you needed more proof that you were being conned in the GOP, it is these idiots coming out and admitting that the one issue they pretend is more urgent than anything else suddenly should be put on ice because they would rather deprive Biden of a perceived win than to actually solve the problem unserious people in an unserious party. And the fact that even members of their own party are finally starting to admit it is yet another black eye for Trump at a time when he can afford it least. Next up is my interview with Alex Michelson. Now we've got the anchor at Fox LA and host of The Issue Is, my good friend Alex Michelson. Alex, thanks for coming back on. Brian, great to be with you. So Alex, Republicans have spent my entire adult life fear-mongering about how urgently we need to solve the border crisis. Biden finally offers them a deal, but now they're balking because they admittedly don't want to lose it as a campaign issue. How obvious is the politicking to you here? I mean, they're not even really hiding it, right? I mean, the reporting of of Trump basically saying, don't do this deal because it will be a win for Biden could not be more obvious. Uh, So far, that's just uh, news reports of that. It'll be interesting to see if he comes out and says that himself on camera. Uh, And, you know, Trump is so assured of himself and his strategy, he may, in fact, do that. Um, But I think that's a that's a that's a precarious strategy on this. Um, You know, the border is a real issue. It is a crisis. Uh, And there are some Democrats who pretend that it's not, but it is. And we're starting to see the effects of that uh, in Democrat run cities like New York and and Los Angeles and other places around the country. Um, And so uh, it's a problem for Biden. And, and if if Trump says, don't solve it, don't give him a win, in a lot of ways, Trump is owning the issue himself. He is taking away one of the Democrats' biggest weaknesses, one of the most important uh, talking points, and putting it on himself. It gives Biden the opportunity to say, hey, man, 
or, you know, to use uh, more colorful language like was reported about him uh, this week that uh, apparently he uses all the time. Uh, apparently he uses a lot of F words uh, when talking about Donald Trump. Uh, but he could say, hey, man, I wanted to do it. And you told your people who just listen to you on everything and don't you know, ever question you not to do it. It's very easy, uh, a political argument. The, the, the sad part in this whole thing is there is a crisis and somebody needs to solve it. Immigration in our country has been fucked up for decades. There hasn't been a real immigration bill in 40 years since before we were born. (laughs) And so uh, somebody's got to do something about this. Uh, But if you think about it, and, you know, a lot of people, of course, criticize Joe Biden for his his age and, and all of that. And there's good reason to criticize him for that. But with that age does come some wisdom. And what a smart tactical move to essentially call the Republicans bluff on this. Yeah. Uh, because he gets one of two things. Either one, he actually makes real progress on solving the issue, which helps him. Or two, he calls them out and it's obvious to the rest of the world that they don't want to solve it, which also helps him. Uh, so I don't know how many other presidents would have done that, would have said, yeah. yes, we'll do your deal. Let's do it. I'm in. Uh, I think most probably younger presidents on the Democratic side uh, who come from a different era may not have done that, but I think it was smart strategy by the president. Well, no, you called it obvious, but do you think that this message actually breaks through to the broader electorate? I mean, I think a lot of these politicians are banking on the fact that most people don't pay attention. They just see a broken border continue to exist and just assume that it's Biden. So the fact that that Republicans refuse to take yes for an answer, even if Democrats start hitting them on this, do you think Republicans are just banking on this idea that people aren't really going to pay attention? They're not going to know that ultimately it's the Republicans who refuse to, to take action here? I mean, look, I think that uh, most people uh, don't really listen that closely to, well, you almost did the deal. They see a problem and then they blame whoever's in charge. So I think there is some of that. Ultimately, this election uh, comes down to, you know, you know, a few thousand or, you know, tens of thousands of voters in three or four states who are going to be blanketed with commercials over and over again. Um, And this is the kind of thing uh, that Democrats could run as a commercial in perpetuity in those places to really get that that message out, uh, depending on what happens. Look, it's still possible, by the way. We haven't even seen the text of this border deal. Uh, There's supposed to be votes on it next week. It is still possible that something gets through. Um, And, uh, you know, I don't know if this is a totally foregone conclusion that it's completely nothing. Well, moving over to a different topic, we've just gotten another huge jobs report. Over 350,000 jobs were added. That brings us close to 15 million jobs during Biden's first term. From what you've seen, is the gulf between good economic stats and poor economic sentiment, do you think that gulf is shrinking? Uh, Probably shrinking a little bit. I mean, the the most important numbers, I think, are some of uh, what's happening when it comes to inflation, uh, because I think that's what most people feel. Yeah, uh, people feel when they're going to the gas pump. Uh, they see the price. They see it changing. Uh, they feel when they're going to the grocery store and they see the price of things and how that affects their daily budget. Obviously, um, they feel if they're not in a job uh, more than anything else. Uh, but in terms of what everybody else is doing, I think that's hard for most people to conceptualize. 
Um, but this has been a, a real challenge for the Biden administration in terms of communicating the good economic news. They have not done a good job of, of it. Bidenomics has not necessarily stuck uh, with the general public in terms of a, a phrase that people really understand. Um, and so I think that's going to be one of the most important things going forward. Um, you know, we, of course, we think of James Carville in 1992. It's the economy, stupid. And for a lot of people, it really is. A lot of this does come down to, am I going to make more money in this administration? Or am I going to make more money in the other administration? And for a lot of people, they feel like, if you hear, especially among conservatives, that they did better under the Trump regime. They seem to leave out the last year of the Trump regime when, you know, the entire world was basically in an economic freefall. Con convenient. Uh, but, and, 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 and we can see where blame is. There's a lot of different people to blame for that and, and on top of the disease itself. But um you know, I think it's that the messaging on this still needs to to get better, but it's easier to message when you have a real story to tell. <laughs> and um, it seems like a story is, is starting to develop. Um, and those fears of the terrible, terrible recession just never materialized. The ultimate irony here, I think, is that Republicans are all out there like on on mass suggesting that Donald Trump was some wizard with the economy. The guy lost two point nine million jobs during his term. Biden has gained 15 million. And so it's going to be increasingly difficult for them to to portray Donald Trump as some economic genius while also attacking the guy who managed 18 million net, like 18 million jobs net total higher than than uh, than Donald yeah, Trump. Although we all know that that stat is, is, is a little bit deceiving because so many people were forced to be out of work because well, here, of the pandemic. Here's what I'll say to that. Strategy. All of the jobs that were lost during the pandemic were recovered in July of 2022. And since then, we've added 5 million jobs. And of all three years prior to the pandemic, Donald Trump added, I think it was 2.1 million jobs, 2.6 million jobs, and then 2.2 million jobs. Joe Biden's worst year, which was 2023, was 2.7 million jobs. Joe Biden's worst year was better than all of Donald Trump's best years. And so again, like any way you cut it, it really, it really doesn't like bode too well, especially for a guy who brands himself the jobs, jobs, jobs president. Part of the challenge, I think on a gut level, which is what you're asking about in terms of how people uh, perceive this stuff, yeah. um, is that wages uh, have not always kept up with all of this. And, and it's a struggle for a lot of folks um, who maybe don't feel like they're making enough money to pay for what they need, who are not making enough money to pay for housing, especially in places like California, where the cost of housing is so high, where they see the price of CEO pay, which is so high. And then they, they feel like they are not getting enough of their fair share in the economy, not suggesting that they got a bigger share of it during the Trump administration. I'm suggesting this is a bigger problem of why we see yeah. so many people that feel so disconnected from politics because they feel like the elites are getting theirs and they're not getting theirs. And even if the stock market is going up, that's not necessarily helping their lives when they got to pay for their groceries or they got to pay for their rent. Which is, you know, and, and just to build on my earlier point, I guess that's the importance of supporting a party that doesn't lavish gifts onto the wealthiest people in the country. I mean, during the Trump administration, the sole legislative achievement was a tax cut that overwhelmingly favored millionaires and billionaires. So, uh, you know, I, I, but, th but that, but to your point, that is on the Biden administration to sell, to keep selling, and they have 10 months to do it because, uh, because, you know, 
like I said initially, there is a, a, a chasm, a gulf between how the economy is performing, at least on a macro level, and also how people are actually feeling. And, you know, we're, we can't delude ourselves into thinking that because we have good macroeconomic factors here at play that suddenly people just feel great about their situations because that's that's not the case. Um, Alex, does it feel like Republicans are losing ground then on two of their most potent issues? Like the economy and immigration are usually home runs for the GOP, but right now they're the ones who are openly blocking an immigration deal and also the economy is surging. Now you got to remember, Brian, um, you may uh, operate in a different media universe than some of the Republicans yeah. operate. So uh, yeah. <laughs> if, uh, my guess is a lot of those voters maybe aren't listening to this podcast right now, although if they are, welcome. It's great to have you here. You know, if you're watching a certain cable news network or some of the, you know, competitors with that cable news network, um, the border is very much a problem. <laughs> and uh, and you're seeing those images every single night. Um, you are uh, seeing Joe Biden and his economic policy be mocked constantly. You are looking at algorithms uh, that show Joe Biden, uh, you know, old and falling down and not being able to put a sentence together and uh, mocking Kamala Harris openly. And, and you are being inundated every day online also with images yeah. of people crossing the border or this week, an image of somebody who attacked a police officer who was here illegally and then, you know, um, gave the middle finger to the camera when they were released, you know, so, so that is their headspace. So I don't know if if the information you're talking about has broke through that right wing echo chamber. Uh, my guess is it hasn't. Yeah. Well, I would say for that, I mean, if we have limited resources, what we really want to focus on are independent voters or soft Republican voters. It's not necessarily to try to get the people who are so embedded within the right wing media ecosystem that it would take so much time to flip them anyway. Like, like that is not where our that's not where Democrats time should be spent. We're not we shouldn't be spent trying to get people who consume 12 hours a day of border stories and Biden falling down stories and, you know, illegal immigrant stories like that. That shouldn't be where our limited resources are spent anyway. It should be trying to get those people, those independent voters, those, you know, Obama, Trump, Biden voters, for example, that that should be generally where we're spending our time. Exactly. Now, all of that, with that said, pales in comparison to the big story right now, the one that I know you have been itching to discuss, and that is Taylor Swift. Uh, you were actually pulled on uh, on TMZ to talk about Taylor Swift. Apparently this week. I'm the expert on this. You, you are the expert. You're a resident Taylor Swift expert. So uh, Alex, does does it feel like the, the right is jumping the shark right now by kind of like losing their skulls over Taylor Swift, over, over the existence of Taylor Swift? Well, this is the danger of living in the echo chamber that I just talked about. Uh, you, you sort of sometimes forget where real people are. Uh, what do people in this country really care about? Uh, most young women in this country love Taylor Swift. She's the number one performer by far. She had the biggest concert by far. She had the biggest concert movie by far. I mean, she has a loyal army of supporters called Swifties all over the place. And all of those young people, they have moms, they have dads <laughs> want to make them happy, you know, that are passionate about it. On top of that, you add into it the NFL the most popular thing in America, 93 out of the top 100 TV broadcasts are NFL football games. Uh, and the Super Bowl is the biggest one of them all, the biggest cultural event in the entire country. And it's featuring both Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. People love the Super Bowl. They love 
football <laughs> and they love Taylor Swift. So why would you take that on? Why start a war yeah. with one of the only things that actually brings the country together in this era when everybody is watching separate things? The only thing everybody watches at the same time is the Super Bowl. Um, so that is sort of a strange strategic decision. Uh, Trump, who is really knows his base and knows his people and knows that so much of his um, support is uh, from people who love giving the middle finger to the establishment, uh, may see this as an extension of that. I know there's a lot of uh, people, especially, um, you know, frankly, white men who have been very frustrated to see Taylor Swift, who on average is on, as Colin Cal heard calculated this week, 24 seconds out of a three and a half hour NFL broadcast, but apparently that's too much for these people, um, but yeah. they're okay with seeing the drunk guy with no shirt on, uh, you know, waving his man boobs on TV. That's okay. But yeah. Taylor Swift, one of the biggest stars in the world is too much. Um, and uh, it, it is it is a, a perplexing thing, but is the kind of thing that people that don't pay that close of attention to politics do pay attention to. The right has its own influencers. Like, like why can they parade around washed up Kid Rock, like like their their show pony, but Taylor Swift is deserving of a week of derision by every conservative pundit in America. And also, just from a from a sociological perspective, which is really a political thing, we should think hard about why is it that we're so good with seeing men at these games? Uh, yeah, no issue when Jack Nicholson uh, was courtside at the Lakers or Bradley Cooper is there for the Eagles or Spike Lee is there for the Knicks. We celebrate these guys at their at totally. the games. It, it's there. It's part of the myth. It's part of the reason to go to the stadium. I mean, the Lakers built showtime around the idea of, of literally Dr. Buss in the eighties changed basketball and included the lights for the first row, which was not a thing before just to <laughs> highlight the celebrities there and make that yeah. such a thing because he thought that was part of the allure of creating showtime into an event for the Lakers back when he started, you know, the NBA was on tape delay in the middle of the night. Uh, and that yeah. was part of making it a thing. So why is it that this woman who is so powerful and so rich and so smart and by all uh, by all accounts so kind right i mean she is not an asshole like everybody that's ever interacted with taylor swift says how what a great person she is why is that such a problem for so many people and that's something i think that we should really uh think about switching topics here to uh, another why? woman that why do we have to switch topics <laughs> we could, we could say, I, I know i know what this is tough to, about to taylor pride. swift brian <laughs> to pride taylor know. swift <laughs> Uh, well, I want to talk about uh, another woman that you've uh, that you've uh, been covering recently this week, and that was Kamala Harris. You you interviewed her in our last interview here just a month ago. You said that that was the interview you wanted to get this year, and you got it. So you interviewed the vice president this past week. Okay. You were on Air Force Two. What was that whole experience like? Well, the most amazing thing is she walked up to me and said, "I heard you on No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen." And he is an and avid listener. To make this dream possible. No, not, that is not what happened. But let's think. It's like that's what it's like our little uh, <laughs> our little Make a Wish uh, foundation here. Um, it was a it was a very uh, interesting and cool experience. You know, I've known her for a long time. Um, I covered her first when she was San Francisco DA, and I was an intern for NBC here in LA back in two thousand seven. I interviewed her as San Francisco DA, as California Attorney General, as a Senator from California, as a presidential candidate now for the first time uh, as the Vice President of the United States, although I hadn't done a sit down interview with her in, in over three years. Uh, so that was it was cool. They um, while we were on the plane, uh, her and Doug came back 
and sort of hung out a little bit and just sort yeah. of talked about their lives and my family who they know and all that was was a really special moment and it was interesting to see her um, in action and and frankly uh, what they are doing with her um, by basically putting her out on two national tours uh, does play to some of the strengths of Kamala Harris we've the the, the weaknesses are well documented and, and certainly talked about on a lot of those networks that we were talking about. Uh, but they are using her as a way to talk to women and young people. And so they have her on a nationwide tour um, talking about reproductive freedoms. Uh, that's where we were in San Jose, but she's going to a lot of swing states talking about that as well. And she's also been on a nationwide tour going to college campus, tr trying to get uh, young people animated about politics. She talks about the fact that she loves Gen Z and, and her poll numbers are better uh, with them and better uh, with uh, women as well. And so like many vice presidents in the past, I think they will uh, find a way to target her where she can be most effective. And you see, especially on the issue of abortion, um, the power of, frankly, having a female vice president, which of course we've never yeah. had before, talking about it is very different um, than having a man talk about it. And, and, um, and you can see that the women in the audience really respond to that. Well, I'm going to ask you a question that you asked her, and that was, what do you feel is the biggest misconception about her? I, I think the, the biggest uh, misconception about her is, um, you know, how warm and fun she can be. Um, you know, at her best, she's really charismatic and really cool um, a, a, as a human being and, and can make people feel really comfortable. And um, that um, sometimes isn't on display. Uh, and, and I think, I hope that they are starting to, you know, put her in a situation where she's doing more interviews like this one. I mean, we had been asking to do this interview every single trip she made to LA for over three years. And they finally said, yes, now that it's the election year. Um, but I think she'd be better served to do more, not only interviews with me and you and others, but, um, to get out there more and for people to hear her more. And I think she gets better, um, having more reps, just like anything else. Um, you know, the, the more at bats you get, the better you are at swinging the baseball bat. And, um, and I think, uh, that it would behoove the Biden administration to highlight her, especially in places um, that showcase her strengths. Well, I'm glad we could have been helpful here, given that Kamala Harris watches the show. And so that was uh, that was what really pushed her, pushed her over the edge in terms of accepting the interview. So with that said, uh, who's the next interview that you're looking to get? Well, I mean, there's the president. <laughs> <laughs> also, also an avid listener. That would be great. Uh, I, I would love to talk to Donald Trump. I know that's probably not going to happen on your show, but um, he's, you know, the most significant person in, in politics. Uh, and uh, I think it would be fascinating to talk with him. Um, I, I would love to talk to Barack Obama, basically anybody who's ever been president. I'll, I'll talk to that. <laughs> yeah. Bush. We'll take that. Bill Clinton would be great. Uh, but I think yeah, that yeah. would be uh, would be fascinating to do. But I also like um, I would like to honestly do more in some of the the cultural and tech space. Um, I read the book that Walter Isaacson did on Elon Musk, and it was so fascinating on how many places he's basically driving what's next for humanity. I think he'd be fascinating to talk to. I know some of your listeners probably don't like him, but um, I, I think it would be interesting to talk to him and and some of the people in that space too about what's next. You know, we had a big hearing on the Hill this week about um, social media companies and their role um, in terms of where we go. And basically it was interesting to see how both parties screamed at them um, but um, you know regulating that social media and regulating AI um, and a lot of times it's some of the same people who are in charge of doing both um, is probably more important to our actual society than a lot of the stuff that politicians are e even talking about 
Um, and so it'd be really fascinating to, to learn more about that and, and uh, be able to educate people more in that space. Well, to that point, uh, when you do have those interviews, where can people see and hear more from you? Okay, well, you can check out the Kamala Harris interview uh, right now um, by going to youtube.com slash Alex Michelson. Um, the Issue Is, our show is put out as a podcast. Just search for The Issue Is wherever you look for podcasts. And you can watch us uh, on different stations around California. Find our airtimes at theissueisshow.com. We are in Los Angeles on Fox 11 on Friday nights at 10.30 p.m. Alex, as always, thanks so much for joining. It was great talking to you. It's always fun, Brian. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Alex. That's it for this episode. Talk to you next week. You've been listening to No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, produced by Sam Graber, music by Wellesley, interviews captured and edited for YouTube and Facebook by Nicholas Nicotera, and recorded in Los Angeles, California. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast app. Feel free to leave a five-star rating and a review. And check out BrianTylerCohen.com for links to all of my other channels.